the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We've been studying, as you know, for about a year and a half now in John's Gospel on Sunday mornings. And as you also know, there are four Gospel accounts in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called synoptic Gospels. What that means is they take the same viewpoint of the life of Jesus. And really what they give us is sort of a chronological order of the events that happened in Jesus' life. But as we've been studying the Gospel of John, we see that John does not take the same approach. But rather what he did is he's taken different events of Jesus' life and he highlights those particular things. And they may not be in necessarily a chronological order, but he tells us why he did that. And it was to prove that Jesus really is the Christ. So as we've gone through the Gospel of John, one of the things that we've missed is some of the details that you find in the other Gospel accounts. Well, tonight I'd like to talk to you about a story that we find in Luke chapter 19. And John does not record this, only a small part of it, and he doesn't get the whole story for us. And this is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the Passover week. This would have been the last time that Jesus went into Jerusalem at the beginning of that week. You may remember the story of how people came and they laid palm branches in his way and they praised him as he came into the city. And then just by the end of that week, Jesus had been crucified, put into the tomb, and then on the next Sunday morning, he arose from the dead. But we have this story in Luke chapter 19 of something that happened uh, regarding uh, Jesus and a statement that he made as he went into Jerusalem for the Passover week. So we're going to talk about this tonight. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. We're looking at Luke chapter 19, beginning of verse number 28. Luke nineteen twenty-eight, And when he had thus spoken, and that's Jesus, and when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you and the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace... The stones would immediately cry out. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word again tonight. We ask you, Lord, you might use this message, speak to our hearts, and we give you the praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you ever heard the saying or possibly even used it yourself, if I could just be a fly on the wall? Have you ever said that? 
I, I've uh, wondered about conversations sometimes that have taken place between people, and I wonder what was said, and I've thought, you know, I would really like to be a fly on the wall just to hear what those people were talking about. Perhaps you've been to a historic place, and you realize that something uh, great happened there, something famous may have happened, and you may have thought, well, if only the walls could talk, what kind of story would those walls tell us of what's taken place? Or we've thought about this, perhaps. What if the uh, walls in the White House could talk? The walls in the Oval Office? Or what if that chair in the Oval Office could talk? And some of us would probably really like to know what goes on behind closed doors and what our leaders are really thinking and doing. Then you may think about this. um, What about a police detective who goes to a crime scene And he's investigating, and he does everything that he can to find out who committed the crime and what it was all about. Don't you think it would be much easier if he could just turn to a wall or turn to a lamp or a table and say, what can you tell me about what took place in this room? Make his job a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? And I dare say that if criminals knew that there were unseen eyes that were watching them and unknown ears that were listening to everything they said... That would probably deter a whole lot of crime. And even for those of us who aren't criminals, to know that some inanimate object would be able to tell what we were doing, that'd probably stop us from doing a whole lot of things that we would otherwise do. Well, this evening, what I'd like to do is sort of use that as the basis for this message. And I want to talk about what stories the stones could tell. What about those stones where Jesus walked in the places where Jesus taught What story would those stones tell if they could tell us what they've seen? Well, in verse number 40 of our text here, we find that uh, Jesus was going into Jerusalem, and the Pharisees were very upset that all the disciples were praising Jesus. They were hailing him as the king, and they were bowing before him. And so the Pharisees said to Jesus, they said, Master, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus replied to them, he said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace the stones would immediately cry out. Well, if stones could talk, what would they say? And I would say for sure that the stones would never be able to tell us anything about Jesus, that he would be afraid to be known. He never did anything that he wasn't willing to share and and show us and was very open about everything that he did. But the stones could tell us a very good story about Jesus. So we're going to talk about several stones that we find in the New Testament in places where Jesus went and where he taught and the message that the stones could tell us. I'd like to talk to you, first of all, tonight about the stones at the Mount of Temptation. The Mount of Temptation. You see, when Jesus began his public ministry, his first companion was not the disciples. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, immediately the Bible says that he was led away into the wilderness, and for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was there, and he he fasted for those 40 days. And then at the end of the 40 days, it was Satan who came to him. Now, Satan became his companion. We ought not to think that Satan was his friend, because certainly he wasn't. But Satan was there because he wanted to take Jesus down. He wanted to take him in what we could consider to be one of the very weakest moments of his life. And there are many people who think that the devil is their friend, and they may try to to, uh, lean on the devil and say, you know, the devil will be there for me. The devil wants to show me a good time, and I'd like to go with him. But the devil only has one thing in mind. 
And that is he wants to destroy our souls. And you can be sure that when he came to Jesus in this hour of temptation, it was his intent to try to harm Jesus and take him down. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the scripture says, And when the tempter came to him, that's Satan, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Satan says to Jesus, Command that the stones be made bread. Now, what if you'd been in Jesus' condition? I've told you that for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted, he took no food. Uh, He was at a weak moment. He had not taken anything to strengthen him and to nourish him. And, you know, I I have trouble. I don't know about you. I have trouble for going four hours without an Oreo or something. But here we got Jesus. He's he's 40 days and 40 nights with no food. And we need to remember that, that Jesus was as much man as he was God. And he was hungry. He felt the same hunger pangs that all of us would feel. And so we could look at that and we could say, this was probably the weakest moment. If there was ever a time that Satan was able to get him to do something he shouldn't do, this would probably be the time. And so if those stones could talk, and Satan said, command that these stones be made bread, if those stones could talk, what story would they tell us? Well, I think that they would tell us and give us a testimony of the sinless life of our Savior. So the testimony of the stones is that Jesus was sinless. And you might think perhaps that Matthew was somewhat biased as he tells the story. He didn't tell the whole thing. But if those stones could talk, I can assure you right now that what they would tell us was that not even for a moment, not even the briefest moment, did Jesus ever consider forsaking his faith and forsaking his heavenly Father. If those stones could talk, they would quote Scripture back to us. And they would say, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so the stones could testify that Jesus was sinless in his life. And of course, that was absolutely necessary. He had to be the sinless Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God. And if he hadn't been, then he couldn't have been our Savior. And so those stones would cry out, He's the unspotted Lamb. He never sinned. But let's go a little bit further, and we can talk about some more stones. And we find some stones at the very first miracle that Jesus performed. And these are the stones at the marriage feast of Cana. The first miracle that Jesus performed in his public ministry was that he changed the water into wine at the marriage feast of Cana. You can read about that in John chapter 2. But in John chapter 2, verse number 6, it, tell us, it tells us that there were brought six water pots of stone... And they were brought and set before Jesus. And Jesus, with a miracle, performing a miracle, he changed the water in those stone water pots into wine. And the message that we find in this, of course, is that Jesus is able to provide for us. And so the message of the stones that were there is that Jesus is the provider. Jesus is the one who can take hopeless situations and turn those around for us because Jesus takes care of his people. In Philippians 4.19, Paul wrote, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I know in a congregation like this that there are many of you here that have problems. We talked a little bit about that this morning, but if you're human, you have problems. And that, that just goes with the territory of being people. Jesus told us, he said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. 
And so each of us has faced times in our lives when we don't know which way to turn. We don't know what the next step will be. We don't know how we're going to cope with problems. There are health issues and financial issues, all kinds of things that go on in our life. And we wonder, how are we going to deal with this? Well, I want to tell you that my experience has always been that God gives strength for our problems. God makes problems go away, and when the problem doesn't go away, God is there to help us to get around that problem, to go over top that problem, or whatever it is to help us with it. And so if I've learned anything, I've learned this, that I can put my faith in Christ. He's worthy of my faith, and he'll always help me. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who made the world. It says by him all things consist. It says he upholds all things by the power of his hand. And so there's no need for us to worry what the world can bring at us. We don't have to be afraid of that. There's nothing that you ever face that God can't take care of. So Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation. But you know he followed that up with another statement. He said, but be of good cheer. Don't worry about it, because I have overcome the world. So he's the mighty God. He upholds the world in his hands. And as the Bible tells us, if he clothes the grass of the field, and if he makes the lilies to grow, and if he can uh, take care of the very smallest sparrow, then we know that he can take care of us. The songwriter so aptly put it this way, if he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, then I know, my brother, that he could carry you. And so if the stones could speak, they would tell us that Jesus is mighty to provide. That's a great testimony. But then there are other stones that we could talk about. Let's talk for a moment about the stones at Jacob's well. I believe that just about everybody here, I think you know the story of Jesus at Jacob's well. In John chapter 4, the Bible tells us that Jesus went to a city called Sychar. That was a city in Samaria. And this was a place where many centuries before this, that Jacob had a well that he gave to his son Joseph. When you look in the Old Testament, you try to find out about this well. Well, you'll be looking for a long time because there's no specific place in the Old Testament that tells us about Jacob's well. But evidently, what we have here, by tradition, this was a well that Jacob dug. And this was a well that Albert Barnes, in his commentary, says that was about 100 feet deep. And it had been dug through solid limestone rock. Well, when Jesus came to Samaria, the Bible tells us that he sat on the side of that well. And no doubt he sat on stones that had been built up around it. Those that were taken out of the bottom of that well as it was dug up. And it was there in that particular place that Jesus took an advantage, an opportunity to use that experience there, the water drawn from that well to make a comparison to the living water that he gives us in salvation. And so he told a very sinful woman that he met there that he had special living water that he could give her. And he told her that if you'll take of the water that I give you, then I promise you this water will be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, the person that Jesus talked to on that day was possibly the very worst person in that town. One of the worst sinners that you could find there. The Bible tells us that she was a woman that had been married five times. And it also says that she was living with a man right then who wasn't even her husband. Now, I want to tell you that Jesus called her on that because that was a sinful condition. And I believe if it was sinful then, it's sinful now. Divorce is wrong. Living with people that you're not married to, that's wrong. 
It was wrong then and it's wrong now. And so it was sinful. And so Jesus was there to deal with this sin that she had in her life. Well, the message of that well is really the mission of Christ. And what was his mission? Luke 19.10 gives it. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So what did Jesus come to do? Well, if the stones could speak to us, they would give us this testimony that Jesus' mission is to save. Those stones observed Jesus as he talked with this lady. And and we look at this and we wonder, this is really something. Jesus picks out the very worst sinner in this town and he speaks to her and he demonstrates to her his purpose and his mission. And that's a wonderful thing to think about, that Jesus comes to those who know that they have no help in themselves. In 1 Corinthians, Paul told us that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble people are called, but the ones that God calls out are those who recognize, I have no help in myself, I have nobody to turn to. And that's the person that Jesus is after. He's after the contrite sinner. He's after one who's abandoned all self-help. And I would tell you today, tonight, if you are a sinner, then you are exactly the person that Jesus came for. You're who he came for. And I'm glad tonight that I can tell you that Jesus Christ is still receiving lost sinners. He's still saving people. His mission never changed. It's always been the same. He takes wicked people and he translates them into his marvelous kingdom of heaven. Jesus has a mission to save, and the stones would give us that message and testimony. So the stones cry out the mission of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you also this evening that I believe those stones are crying out for a place like Berean Baptist Church. They're crying out for this church to be a lighthouse in our community. They cry out for us to carry out that mission of Jesus Christ. Once again, I'm very thankful for all the folks who gathered over here in rooms 8 and 9 just about an hour ago to talk about carrying out that mission that Jesus has given us. And so our mission that he's given us is to preach his message to a lost and dying world. And if we try to hide that message, then the rocks will cry out because Jesus will always have a witness So stones would tell us about the sinless nature of Christ. They'd tell us about the abundant provision that we have in Christ. And then they would also tell us about his mission to save. And so stones that Jesus walked on have a story to tell. Now we can talk about other stones. Fourthly, there were the stones in the temple court. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 8. And we'll look at this for just a moment. The temple in Jerusalem was one that was made of massive stones, and it was really a beautiful structure. I think all of you are aware that this is not the temple that was built by Solomon. That had been destroyed much, much before this uh, by the Babylonians. But this was a very beautiful temple. And by the time of Herod, many, many different things had been added to the temple area, and it was built up with huge stones. It wasn't as magnificent as the original, but it was still beautiful. Now look at verse number 2, if you would, please, in John chapter 8. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? 
This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now I want to state the message of these stones right up front because they give the testimony that Jesus forgives sins. I'm thankful that Jesus is a forgiving Savior. Now here we have a woman who is guilty of breaking God's law. I don't suppose that there was any doubt in any of the men's minds who accused her that day that she was guilty. She was worthy to be taken and tried and, and, and have the worst penalty of the law inflicted upon her. There was no doubt that she was guilty. And yet we find here in this story that Jesus was not focused on the woman's guilt. He was focused on her accusers. Now to those Pharisees, if they were listening to stones, they thought they heard something different. And they thought that they heard the stones crying out, pick us up, pick us up and let's throw ourselves at her. Let's beat her. Let's break her bones. Let's continue to throw stones until she dies in agony. But those very same stones would not tell the story of Jesus that way because the stones would tell us how Jesus brought conviction to the accusers. And they would tell us how that Jesus is able to dissect the heart. And he let those accusers know that they were as guilty as this woman was and even more guilty for those, their sins. You see, this was probably a setup to begin with. Jesus knew that. These religious Jews that were, uh, were so wicked in their hearts and they were so, uh, so trying to get at Jesus, they wanted to trap him, that they set this whole affair up, possibly even causing this woman, setting up all the circumstances where she would enter into adultery. And Jesus knew that. And so the story, the stones would tell, is one of convictions of the accusers. But that's not where it ends, because the woman did commit sin. And so Jesus spoke to her. And the stones would tell us a story about he, how he forgave her of her sins and how he set her free from the condemnation of the law. God forgives sin. I thank God that he's forgiven me. I didn't deserve it, but he forgave me. And I know the scriptures tell me that he'll also forgive you. In the book of Colossians, it says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And so when we were dead in trespasses and sin, Jesus, the Son of God, made us alive. He forgave us of those sins, the very same ones that would doom us to an everlasting punishment in the fires of hell. So if those stones could talk, they would tell us, Jesus forgives so the stones in the Holy Land, they have an interesting story to tell. And they tell us about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'd, I'd love to have been there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to have seen the works that Jesus did? And if not that, wouldn't you like to be able to talk to the stones and say, what happened here? What was Jesus like and what did he do? And they tell us a great testimony about Jesus. But there's another stone, the stone at the tomb of Lazarus. 
And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Let's turn over a few more pages there to John chapter 11, and we're going to read about this. Uh, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, and also a very good friend of Jesus, was very sick, and he was about to die. And so Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that he needed to come quickly. He must come in order to heal their brother. But we know the story. Jesus didn't immediately go to be by Lazarus' bedside. Instead, he delayed. And then Lazarus died. And Jesus knew that he died, and still he delayed going there. And by the time that Jesus reached the place where Lazarus was in Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And Lazarus had been put into a cave, and a stone had been put upon that cave. That was the burial place. Now, let's look at what happens in verse number 38. John 11, verse number 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. So Martha had some pretty good sense there. Don't roll the stone away. Don't take off the stone. He stinks. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Now the stone at the mouth of that cave could tell us a story. Jesus said, Take the stone away. And if that stone could talk, what would he say about Jesus? I believe the testimony he would give us is that Jesus brings the dead to life. Here's a stone that tells us Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Jesus has the power to raise physically dead people. But far more important than that, Jesus has the power to raise spiritually dead people. Jesus takes those who are ruined and wrecked by sin, who are spiritually dead. He can touch that person and by his grace, he makes them all over again. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, the scripture says, And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that is the very thing that we need to preach. Jesus has resurrection power. He has power to bring lost sinners to life. Now, do you know there are many churches today who don't preach that message? Preachers all over are confused about the message of salvation. You can walk right up the street here, right out here on, uh, on Country Club Drive. You can go into Santa Rosa, into Petaluma, into San Francisco, go all across this country, and you'll find that people are very, very confused about what Jesus does because they think that the power to come to life lies in our ability to keep laws and commands. 
And there are churches that teach that the power of salvation is in some sort of sacrament that you keep. If I can be baptized, if I can, if I can take communion, if I can do so many other things and that will save me. Then there are churches that teach that the power of salvation is in some kind of intellectual choice that you make. But the power of salvation is not in any external right that you might do. It's not in any intellectual choice that you make. The power for salvation is supplied by God. And it's God who has to first work in the heart of a person and bring that person to his knees in conviction before he'll ever trust Christ. So when Jesus commanded Lazarus to come out of the tomb, he came out. And I can promise you this, when the Holy Spirit gets hold of a person's life, when he gets hold of a lost sinner, that man will come to Christ. I love preaching about Lazarus because I can tell you, some of these stones have some very, very good theology. And if we just go to the stones, they would tell us the truth about matters. So the stone cry out, this stone cries out the power of Jesus to bring lost sinners to life. But let me go on. We still have three more important stones. Now, I gave you a freebie on your lesson sheet tonight. The stones in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's talk about those. Well, our text verses in Luke chapter 19 tell us what happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time. This was the last week of his life. And during that week, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus often went there to pray. That was his custom But this time that he went to the garden, it was very much different than before. I want you to listen to the narrative from Luke chapter 22. It says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So what is the testimony of stones in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, the testimony is that Jesus was in agony because of the cross. And so the stones there tell us of the agony of the Savior. So here, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he's ready to face the impending wrath of God. Jesus had been betrayed by his friend. Soon he was going to be beaten beyond recognition. Nails would be driven into his hands and his feet. He would be severely beaten. He would suffer shame and humiliation at the hands of men. But worse than all of that, worse than all that man could do to him, was that Jesus would be forsaken by the Heavenly Father. So Jesus was a suffering Savior. He was a Savior who died a a cruel, agonizing death. And so the stones that were in the Garden of Gethsemane and those stones that were on Golgotha where Jesus was crucified, they would tell us that Jesus went in agony for our sins. He died an agonizing death. And I'll tell you, I don't believe that Jesus tried to avoid the cross. There are many people who preach that. Jesus didn't really want to go to the cross and he tried everything that he could do to get out of going there. I don't believe it for a minute. Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross. He went there for his people because he loved us and he was willing to die for us. But he agonized and mostly he agonized because he knew the heavenly father had to forsake him. And yet still Jesus was willing to do that even knowing that his heavenly father would forsake him. And so on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. But after that came another stone. And this stone had the greatest story to tell that any stone has ever told. 
Jesus was put into a tomb, and it was there that we find a stone with a tremendous message. And where was that stone? It was the stone at the garden tomb. I want you to turn back to the 28th chapter of Matthew, if you would, please. The hope of all mankind is right here in the story that's told by this massive stone that was rolled across the tomb of Jesus. Look at verse number 1 in Matthew chapter 28. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. So Jesus was taken down from the cross. His body was prepared for the burial. They took the body and they put it into the tomb that was hewn out of a rock. And then they rolled that huge stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. Wouldn't you like to talk to that stone about what happened next? Boy, I would. There's the stone sitting in place. There's a guard that's been stationed there. And he's there to prevent anyone from moving the stone. The stone was sealed. It was of sufficient size and weight that it couldn't be easily moved. No one could roll the stone away without being detected. So the stone is just sitting there like all stones would do, just sitting there. Then all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. An angel came down from heaven, and he rolled the stone away. You see, the Bible tells us that God would not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. God had no intentions of leaving his son in the tomb. And what we find out here is that God had forsaken him no longer. He had to forsake him on the cross, but he forsakes him no longer. And folks, that was a morning for a stone to remember. Oh, Jesus died, there's no doubt about that. And he was in that tomb, but the grave could not hold him. And that stone could not hold him back because God raised him from the dead. And so if you talk to that stone, it would give a testimony. And you know what it would say? Jesus is alive. That's what the stone would say. The stone would tell you, Not of a Christ who's powerless to come out of the tomb. It wouldn't tell you of a man named Jesus who had his body stolen by some fanatical disciples. It wouldn't tell you of a, of a, of a Jesus that really wasn't dead at all and that he just revived and somehow pushed his way out of the tomb. Not at all. It would tell us of a Savior who was raised for our justification. It would tell us of a Savior who right now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. It would tell us of a Savior who is alive today, and he makes intercession for his people. So the stone would tell you about that God-man, the God-man who left the tomb in the very same body in which he was placed there. Well, that, that, that stone has a message to tell. It saw the body of Jesus come out of that tomb. So the stone at the garden tomb tells us of a Savior who's alive. But we're not finished yet because there's still another stone that we need to talk about. And these are the stones on the Mount of Olives. Now, Palestine is a, is a land that's filled with stones. Some of those stones are more talkative than others. So what did the stones at the Mount of Olives say? Well, they would tell you about 
two angels that they saw that said Jesus is coming back. So what's the testimony of the stones on the Mount of Olives? Jesus is coming again. Now we find it in Luke chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, why they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, those are the angels, who also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye've seen him go into heaven. And so those two angels said, this same Jesus. Stones would not tell us that we need to look for another, that our hope lies in someone else, that someone else is coming back for us. Not at all. These stones tell us the testimony of Jesus. I am coming back. And indeed he will. So they would tell us not to look for anything short of this, the very same Savior who left this world has promised that he's coming back for us. And those stones would tell us, you don't need to fear because he is coming back. You don't need to be discouraged because he loves you and he's coming back. They would say, keep the fight, keep the faith, be steadfast, be unmovable as the people of God. Because there's no doubt Jesus is coming back. And I want to tell you tonight, listen to the message of these stones. Jesus is coming back. And the question for you tonight is, are you ready for him to come back? Are you looking for him to come back? Do you believe the message of the stones? So all of these stones we've talked about tonight, they would tell us about something, tell us something about Jesus. But I want to tell you just one last thing, one last thing that the scriptures tell us, and that is that Jesus Christ himself is a stone. This testimony of the scripture is, Jesus is a stone. Now, Jesus was talking about himself, and he said in Luke chapter 20, verse 18, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone, speaking of himself, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Jesus is talking about when he becomes a rock of offense. Don't stumble at this stone. Don't stumble on him because the Bible says that he'll fall on you. The scripture says that God's judgment is on the fearful and the unbelieving. So what we need to do is to be ready for the coming of Jesus. We need to be watching and waiting right now because Jesus is coming soon. And he's left plenty of testimony to tell us that it's all true. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. If stones could talk, what would they say? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony that we read in the Bible of all the things that you came to do, how you perfectly fulfilled the Father's plan. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus was sent into this world to die for our sins. But most of all, we know right now Jesus is coming back. And we thank you that he's sending him back. You're sending him back for us. May we be looking for you. May our hearts be stayed upon you. May we be steadfast, unmovable, always looking for your coming. Blessed in this invitation tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.